when we see your faithfulness as it's expressed in so many things, the faithfulness that you have to save sinners who call upon you in repentance and faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son as full payment for sin. And you make the promise, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're here to testify this morning that you are faithful to your word to save sinners like us. Then, Father, we think about all of the other things. You promised to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And we have to look at things through the eyes of that verse and the eyes of proper perspective to say, you've been faithful to do that. There may be things we want. There may be even some things that may be on the verge of a need, but maybe not necessary right at this moment. And so we have to look and we have to say, at this particular time, at this particular moment, for what I have to do today, you have provided everything that I need. We may not be as healthy as we would like to be, but we're here, we're mobile, we're able to think, we're able to comprehend, we're able to worship, we're able to sing, we're able to pray, we're able to communicate. We have everything we need for right now. Thank you that you've been faithful to meet our needs. And Lord, we know that the God who has delivered us and the God who does deliver us is also the God who will deliver us. And we have absolutely no doubt in this world that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as you said, from the foundation of the world, that there is a dwelling place, a mansion prepared for us that you have made ready for us so that when you come again, you'll receive us And we'll be where you are. And we thank you that heaven is prepared for us by you. We have absolutely no doubt about that. We also read in the word of God that every day of our life is planned out. And there's a set number of those days. And we don't doubt that. And we know that the devil can't kill us. The government can't kill us. Criminals can't kill us. Cancer can't kill us. Nothing else can Because we belong to you and nothing can touch us until it is time and until you allow it. And even then you will be with us and you'll be faithful to see us through the valley of the shadow of death. And you'll comfort us and then you'll take us to heaven. It's a win-win situation. We thank you, Father, that we can expect your faithfulness in the lives of upcoming generations. Just as you were faithful in the days of Daniel as we studied in Sunday school. Just as you were faithful when Christ walked upon the earth and through his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Just as you were faithful to the apostles. Just as you were faithful to the Thessalonians and the Romans and the Ephesians and the Galatians. And all through the scriptures we find your faithfulness. You've been faithful to us. And why would we ever think or ever give even a thought to the fact that you wouldn't be to our children And that you wouldn't be to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and all who remain until Jesus comes. And Lord, we thank you that you have been faithful to our church. We thank you for the way you provide for our needs. We ask you to open up doors of opportunity for us. We pray about Mission 405. Lord, we would like to get that going again. And we would like to have a place where we could uh, carry that out. I pray you would provide for that. I pray for... Max and Stella and our Hispanic ministry, and I thank you for them. 
And uh, Lord, I pray that they would be able to reach people that we can't even communicate well with. Thank you for the help that they are to us. And thank you for that ministry. And thank you for people that are being touched by that. And we pray, Father, that as we think about our church, as we gather, we pray that we would always have visitors and guests and we could show them the love of Christ. I pray that, Lord, you would... Uh, uh, allow us to see people saved and to see them baptized and discipled. I pray that we would grow from our nursery to our senior adults, reaching more people for Christ. I pray that we would be able to be in our community and to show them the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and to do good works that will glorify you and they will see you in and through us. So Lord, in order to do that, we've got to be surrendered to you and we have to admit, you're faithful, we're not. <clears throat> Please make us faithful. And we lay ourselves on that Romans 12, 1 and 2 altar as living sacrifices. It's only reasonable that we would do that. And we do it, Lord, for your glory, that we would not be conformed to this world. The world is unfaithful. The world is apathetic. The world is cold-hearted. We don't want to be like that. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as we open up your word today, transform and renew our minds through it so that we can be faithful as you are faithful to us. To the glory of God we pray in the strong name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning and we're going to first of all uh, look at the passage we looked at last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then we're going to use that as a launching pad to go somewhere else because we're going to try to answer the question why does God say no to sex outside of marriage now most of my life that was a message directed to <clears throat> teenagers you know we got to keep those teenagers got to keep my daughter from getting pregnant well I'm all for that but that's not really the main goal the main goal is not just to have people abstain from sexual activity out of marriage when they're young. The goal is, as Paul wrote this to the church, he was writing to all ages. Because we live in an age where the immoral people may not just be the young people. Sometimes they are the older people. Sometimes they're middle-aged people. Uh, it can happen in any situation. <clears throat> And the other thing, too, is Paul is not writing this simply to say, I don't want you to have any fun and I want you to uh, just be, you know, just an uptight, prudish, puritanical type person. That's not the goal either. The goal here is that we might glorify God and in so doing, enjoy what he has given us freely to enjoy. And sexual activity would be included in that. And there is a way for that. And we want to see this from God's perspective. So this is for all of us. It may be something that convicts you. And I would call you to repent of that if it does. It may be something that informs you and makes you think about it. Because you may live in a bubble. Live in a world where this is not really a big deal. Well, it's a big deal in the world in which we live. It's all around us. It's in commercials on tv and you may have your little kids watching a perfectly good show and the commercials may be belched out of hell and uh, plant a seed in their mind that they that they have to deal with the rest of their life you never know about those kind of things we live in a world that is just sexually charged and perverted and uh it's just hard to uh, handle and hard to deal with isn't it 
And thirdly, you may be called upon to give some advice to somebody someday. It may be somebody in your generation. It may be somebody younger than you. It may be a grandchild or something. You need to be equipped with the Word of God. And so Paul knew this. And so uh, he warned the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, going down to verse 3, for this is the will of God. That's pretty important, isn't it? The will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, that uncontrolled, you know, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's an important phrase too. Don't act like an unbeliever. Don't raise a question about whether you're saved or not by the way that you act. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of such. Please don't think he's indifferent. A uh, president, recent president of the Southern Baptist Convention said that uh, there are some things God just whispers about. And he whispers about homosexuality and he whispers about sexual sin. That doesn't sound like a whisper. Okay? He is the avenger. He pays attention to it and there's a price to pay for that. As we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, this is a pretty strong statement too for all of us. He who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now when I read that, he doesn't reject God, uh, man, but God. It made me think about what it was like when the... Israelites wanted a king and Samuel took it personally and God told them give them a king but Samuel it's not personal they haven't rejected you they've rejected me that sounds a little bit like this and in our world where even people who claim to be Christians just violate the law of God and the word of God all over the place concerning sex outside of marriage it's good to remember you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. And uh, that is a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. So we need to pay attention. Now, I've got on a screen, Solomon in the book of Proverbs, as he was writing to his son to give him wisdom, to make him wise, he gave him all kinds of warnings against adultery. There's a bunch up there. You, I'll give you time to write them down, hopefully. But while you're looking at that, while you're writing those things down, uh, I've got a few verses that I want to read out of Proverbs. That this is a serious, serious thing. God's not whispering. He's very, very clear. This is very destructive. Now, when you read the book of Proverbs, especially about this, and uh, it says like in Proverbs 2, 16, uh, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, this translation says, from the adulteress. Why is Solomon so anti-woman? Why is he picking on women? Why is it always presented that the women are the bad ones to be avoided? Well, he's not really. You know what he's saying? I've got a son. Who is it that could be the biggest pitfall for my son? All things being equal. It would be that he falls in love with or is seduced by someone of the opposite sex. So I have no doubt that if Solomon were writing this to a daughter, 
he probably would have said that you might be delivered from that slimy boy who wants to date you, right? And so uh, that's all he's doing. Please don't take it personal. But the principle is saying he wants all of us. This is recorded in the Word of God so that all of us might learn as to what we're supposed to be and to do. We're not supposed to be the ones that are seduced into sin, neither are we to be the seducers of others into sexual sin. And so he said, so you will be delivered from the uh, forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks into death and her paths um, excuse me, her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In other words, once you enter into this, you never come out of it the same. The scars, the memories, the damage, all of that type of stuff is always there. Proverbs 6.32 says... He who commits adultery, okay, now he's picking on the guy, right? He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation he will refuse, though you multiply gifts. I mean, you don't want to mess with a jealous spouse. In other words, when you are the cause of the breakup of their relationship or anything like that, there's a high price to pay, Solomon said. And it also reminds me of what he said in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And he is talking here about people that are so proud and so arrogant they think they can do anything, anytime, with anyone they wish and there won't be any consequences. And that is one of the dumbest things that you have ever thought if you think that way. I heard one preacher said, when you let a desire, appetite, or attraction take you over, you will become a slave to it and find yourself serving the deceiver. Let that sink in. As you well know, sin takes you farther. What? It costs you more than you, and it'll keep you longer than you. Yeah, cost you, take you further than you wanted to go. It always happens. Cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer than you wanted. I mean, you, you think about uh, how many Bible characters you know about who illustrate that. Think about how many friends you have, family members, maybe even your parents who illustrate that very same thing. So this is extremely, extremely important. And this is the way the enemy is working probably more than any other way in our culture today, and we are vulnerable. Now, some of the things that we might talk about, I just don't see how you could be saved and do that. Then why would Paul write this to save people? It's a waste of ink, a waste of breath to do that. So can we agree together that if the Word of God addresses it in the context of Christian people, that Christian people are vulnerable 
in this area. And if you are a Christian, that means, believe it or not, you are vulnerable in this area. That's why we all need the Word of God. And I have known some people that you never would have believed it, and they got involved in sexual sin and ruined their lives at varying ages, sometimes well up into their 60s and 70s, things like this can happen. It's not just among teenagers and that type of thing, though it does apply to teenagers. Teenagers, don't ruin and scar your life and mess up your future, is what we're saying. So if you please would turn in your Bibles to another thing that Paul wrote about this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, and we will attempt to answer the question, why does God forbid sex outside of marriage? If he's a good God, then two things we know. He created sex, so it must be good. He also forbids it outside of the marriage relationship, so that must also be a good thing. That is the way that we are supposed to live. Now, in this passage, I'm going to make the point and then read the verses that back it up so you can see where we're going. Number one, why does God forbid sex outside of marriage? Well, number one, because no one has ever been improved or helped by sexual sin. No matter what anybody may say, it never helps. It always hurts. It always tangles things up. It always confuses. It always strains relationships. It always has consequences that no one thought about and all of this kind of stuff. And that's what Paul says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me. Well, why would he say that? Because Christ has fulfilled the law. We're free in Christ. But he gives us something here. But... All things are not helpful. All things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be, this is important, brought under the power of any. See, that's why I don't use tobacco. Say, why? Because I don't think that you can say that necessarily burning weeds and sucking in the smoke is a sin but when it gets to the point that you can't even sit through a church service because you got to go out and have a cigarette then I would say that's when it becomes sin because it controls you and what about people that are controlled and addicted to drugs and alcohol same thing same thing you don't want to let anything but Jesus master or control you. That's why you've got to be careful about anything that you get involved in. And sexual sin is one of the worst because it is trying to gain control. It'll control your thoughts. It'll control your actions. It'll control your motives. It'll control your relationships. It'll control the way you think about other people. It'll control the way you treat other people. All of this kind of stuff happens because it is not there to be a friend. In other words, you don't go up and pet a rattlesnake, do you? And this is something that is going to destroy you. And I'm not talking about just simply sex. I'm talking about sexual sin. Emphasize that. Sexual sin. And it does this because we're all made in the image of God. And the law of God, according to Paul, is written on our hearts. We have a conscience, lost and saved. But 
particularly for believers. Because the moment you got saved, you were made alive in Christ and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's going to become very important to what Paul says later on. So that's number one. No one's ever been helped by this. It always enslaves, messes up, tangles, confuses. Uh, you, you just can't get out of it. My uncle, I was walking through a pasture with him one time and I was barefoot and he said, and we were walking through some tall grass, and he said, if you step in something and you feel it warm and squishy coming up between your toes, it's too late to take your foot out. That's a pretty good motto for life, isn't it? And a lot of people wait until it's too late to take their foot out of it and they go, what have I done? Number two, God says no to sex outside of marriage because appetites are never controlled by indulgence. I'll just eat this one Lay's potato chip. But if you're of a certain age, you know that no one can eat just one. Okay, uh, You younger people, look up Lay's potato chip commercials on YouTube. Okay, And uh, that was the whole big deal. Well, that's the way it is. You don't lose weight. Oh, I'll just cheat this once. Because you know what happens? Well, it turns into more than you thought it was going to turn into and all of that. You've got to be disciplined and firm and you've got to be at least somewhat consistent. Okay, here's uh, Dr. Greg's medical advice. If you want to lose weight, here it is. It's very simple. I'm going to write a best-selling book on all of this. You've got to eat less. And you've got to move more. There you go. Okay, take that and go home and lose weight. And be healthier on that. Because that's what, But if it were easy, everybody would do it. Why? Because that one day that you don't move turns into two or three or maybe a week or two weeks. And it's amazing how you can go to the gym and it takes so long to get into shape. But how long does it take to get out of shape? Not much. Not much. Takes so long to lose a few pounds. How long does it take to gain a few pounds? Not very much. Not very much at all. And you never control an appetite by giving into it because the more you eat, the more you're going to want. Now, when I was a kid, we'd have Thanksgiving and all the old people would be eating their turkey and dressing and they'd be back there going, oh, there's so much food. You know, it's kind of funny when you're young, you never complain. Oh, we made too much food. You're like, hey, bring it on, you know, I, I like it. But when you get old, oh, there's just so much food. Oh, they give me so much on my plate and all of that. And then you eat it. And then you know what they would always say, almost to a T. You could almost set your watch by it, at least your calendar anyway. Oh, I don't think I'll be able to eat another thing for a week. And that same fat uncle is over by the, I've got, I've got, I, yeah, I'm, that's a real story, is over by the stove within a couple of hours. Why? Because the more you eat, the more you are going to want. Your capacity increases. And increases and increases. Yeah, we can see some of your capacities, can't we? Okay, now, that's funny, but look what Paul says. Verse 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. <clears throat> but God will destroy both it and them. 
Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. In fact, that's where he lives, right? Verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, what does that mean? Foods for the body, body for foods. The Corinthians, evidently a very, very immoral society, kind of had the idea that uh, sex was like eating. It's just biological. Something you do. Got to eat. Food's made for the body. When you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. And so when it comes to sex, just go ahead. Go ahead. It's no big deal. Kind of like what people are saying in our culture today. And so Paul is saying that's not the way to live because just like with food, the sexual appetite only increases. About the time somebody says, well, just this once, always turns into something else. I'll just look at a little bit of pornography. It ends up being a lot. It gets worse and worse and worse. Well, my girlfriend and I are just doing this. It always progresses. It always moves on. And uh, you say, well, as long as we get married. But I want you to consider something. That before you're married, and God does not put his blessing on a sexual relationship, guess who loves that? Now, before you say the devil course he that would be true let me say it's something else your flesh your flesh loves nothing more than to rebel against God <clears throat> so when you think of it like this sexual activity outside of marriage is giving your body the biggest thrill it can get along with your flesh getting the biggest thrill it can get okay that's a pretty tough combination isn't it and so you uh, say, well, we're in love. We love each other and we're going to get married. And so you do and you should. And then what happens? A little dissatisfaction. You know why? Because all of a sudden, the blessing of God is on that sexual relationship. And you know what the flesh says? Well, this isn't any fun. I like rebellion. And I want to get what I had before. And the only way to get what I had before is to rebel again and commit adultery. And when I commit adultery, now that person, boy, she or he makes me feel like I used to feel with you. Why do marriage, marriages get destroyed by immorality? Why do open marriages never work? Now you know. <clears throat> it's an appetite. And you never control an appetite by indulging it. And yet that's what we're taught today. <clears throat> You've got to be able to do whatever you want to do. Excuse me. My allergies have been killing me lately. <clears throat> However you want to do it. With whomever you choose. And everybody's got to affirm that. And yet we find that the unhappiness rate. The suicide rate and all of that is going up. Why? Because it doesn't work. You do not control an appetite. It doesn't let up simply because you cheat. And so we cannot go by that. Number three, as we move along. It defies the loving Savior who redeemed you in an unthinkable way. It defies the Savior, the loving Savior who redeemed you 
in an unthinkable way. So you come to church and you sing, How great is our God and great is your faithfulness and all of that. Blessed be your name. And then you defy him by the way that you live. The things you participate in. You put those two things together, it doesn't make any sense. You ought to be loving him because of what he's done for you. You ought to be obeying him because of what he's done for you. And you ought to be doing it with a willing, happy, and glad spirit. Verse 15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot, a prostitute? Certainly not, he says. Exclamation point. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot, a prostitute, is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. That's a reference to a sexual union. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord, this should have been shocking to them and it should be to you, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That ought to just just consume us forever how could i a sinner be one with the lord and if i am one with the lord how can i ever forget that how could i ever take that for granted how could i ever defy the lord who has put himself in me and is always with me and will never leave me or forsake me i mean that's kind of the way it is isn't it That's the part that ought to shock us. Too often we're shocked by sin instead of being shocked by the goodness of God. And we ought to be just amazed at His love. The grace really ought to be amazing to us. Why did God say no to sex outside of marriage? Because it defies the one who loves you. It defies the one who has redeemed you. It defies the one who gave his life for you. It defies the one who is so committed to you that you may try to walk away from him, but he doesn't walk away from you. That's an amazing thing. That ought to change the way we look at everything, right? Number four. Why does God say no to sex outside of marriage? Because it is self-destructive. You want to blow up spiritually? You want to harm yourself? You want to hurt yourself? You want to disable yourself? I mean, there's, there's, there's something, uh, there's a group of people that um, they feel like they don't have the right to have two arms or eyes and be able to see or something. And uh, they actually cut limbs off of themselves. There was one girl I read about that, I mean, she took pencils and poked her eyes out because she felt guilty because she could see and other people couldn't. Okay, you know what we say about people like that? It's very sad. There's a, mentally, there's a mental illness problem there. There's a sickness that goes on. You know what the Bible would say to you if you're involved in sexual sin of any kind? That's a self-destructive sickness. That is not the way it is supposed to be in the normal Christian life. And that's why it says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Don't try to accommodate it. Run. Put on your track shoes and get away from it. I don't care how much he says he loves you and can't live without you. Run. I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how seductive she is. Run! That's what the Bible says. Flee. 
Get out of there. Flee sexual immorality. Now notice he explains that every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you from whom you have from God? I mean... Obviously, Paul is talking about sexually transmitted diseases in Corinth must have been rampant. Protect yourself from that type of thing. But I think there's also something psychologically um, destructive here. We have been told in things that I've studied that that first sexual experience is one that can never really be recreated. And there is such a bond with that first sexual partner that you will spend the rest of your life trying to recreate that now if that first sexual partner is someone to whom you are married then good for you but if not then god bless all of the other people that you use as a sexual object to try to fulfill your lust and recreate something that cannot be recreated what a frustrating life What a degrading life to you personally. How it messes you up mentally as well as physically and spiritually. And also how it hurts other people that you ought to be showing the love of Christ to. Instead of objectifying them and using them in a lustful, greedy, covetous manner for your own pleasure. That's not the walk of Christ. That's not the life of Christ. That's not the pattern of Christ. That's not anything near to where we uh, are supposed to live. And uh, number five, it contradicts our testimony and God's grace. Here's what Paul says, and you, your body's not only the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're not your own. For you were bought, verse 20, with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I get the feeling here that Corinth had some Gnostic influences in it. And the Gnostics taught that anything material is evil. 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 Terrible. Evil. Evil. Anything you can feel and see. Evil. But anything that you could not see. The spirit, personality, life, words. See, you heard that, but you didn't see it. Get it? So those are okay. And they said you can't blend the two together, so just, you know, you're saved. Live any way you want because the body is material. It can't do anything but evil. And so Paul just punches that right in the face. And there's a a, a knockout, not a technical knockout, a real knockout there. Your body belongs to God. It is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And there is this fusion of sin and holiness and righteousness that is brought about by the Spirit of God at your salvation. Therefore, you not only glorify God in the spiritual things, you glorify God in the way that you use your body body child of God why because going back to point number one no one's ever been helped by this people have only been hurt only been damaged only been marred 
We don't want to go there and they end up being enslaved. You can end up being enslaved by something and someone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means that if that's true, what we said at the beginning of the service, Jesus is Lord, was a flat out lie in your life. You haven't surrendered. It doesn't mean he's not Lord. It just means you're not surrendered and submitted to his lordship in your life. And that's the way we are supposed to live. Jesus is Lord of all of my life. And so we think about the problems that sexual sin exposes. If you're involved in it, it means you're involved in pride. We've already seen that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You're headed for a fall. It also shows covetousness. You don't care about anybody but yourself and what you want. Lust is not love. Sex is not love. And you are not living in a sacrificial, God-honoring, putting others first and honoring them measure. You are being a covetous person, which Paul said is idolatry. It means that you are using and objectifying others that are made in the image and likeness of God and you don't have the right to do that. That is scummy, that is slimy, that is chauvinistic, that is, well, call it whatever you will, but it is not godly, in other words. You are degrading the body that God gave you which is made in God's image and is supposed to be for His glory. How do you witness to a prostitute you've just had sexual relationships with? So you just violated the Great Commission as well as everything else. I mean, we're to keep our lives free so that we can witness to anybody at any time. Got to watch it. We also are destroying our relationship with God. Now, I didn't, uh, maybe that's too strong of a word because it doesn't destroy it because he doesn't, you don't get unsaved, you don't lose your salvation or anything like that. But let's put it this way, it's sure not the same. When you're involved in sexual sin, it's really hard to worship. It's really hard to praise. It's really hard to give thanks. It's really hard to witness. It's really hard to read your Bible. It's really hard to go to church. I thought somebody might say amen to that, and then I'd know who you were. That's a joke, just a joke. Okay. Here's the other thing, too, that uh, the relationships with God and others. What about children? Your children will never look at you the same. Well, you don't understand who she is and who I'm married to. No, it's their mother. They'll never see it that way. Well, you don't understand what kind of a pig he is. No, they won't, because that's their father. They'll never see it your way. It destroys your relationship with your spouse. We would like to think we would forgive. Some people just don't. And they never trust again. And it's never quite right again. It destroys your relationship with the church. You put us in a position where we have to exercise church discipline. We don't like doing that. That's an awful, horrible thing to do. It also mars the picture of Christ and His church because that's what marriage is supposed to picture. The faithfulness of God, the oneness of God's church with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're His bride. And that it, it destroys that, that picture. However, I don't want to end on that note. I do want to end on this one. There is hope in Christ. There is hope in Christ. Your sins can be forgiven and you can walk out of this room today clean. You can walk out of this room today right with God. I want you to think about the woman at the well. 
Tons of immorality there. Jesus said to her, you know, I happen to know you've been married five times and the man you're with now is not your husband. Okay? That's not a good situation for the Lord to look at. By the way, he knows your sin too. And yet she got saved. Come see this man who told me what manner of woman that I am. Remember that? Amazing. Think about King David. Now his life had consequences, but he was spared, wasn't he? And Nathan the prophet told him that you're not going to die for this sin, but the sword won't depart from your house. So don't just think, well, I can just get forgiveness and everything will be hunky-dory after that. It doesn't work that way. There are consequences that follow with all of this. And other people may not be near as forgiving as God is. And then I want you to consider the Corinthian church that Paul identified as saints brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, For do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral... Uh, by the way, the Greek word that Paul uses in this chapter continually is porneia. Guess where we get our word pornography from? Porneia. Pornea, the sexually immoral. It's all kinds of sexual activity outside of marriage. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I thought you were going to lift us up. I thought we were going to get some encouragement. Well, let me finish. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Somebody say amen to that. Some of you jumped the gun there. I wasn't quite ready for that one. See, isn't that good? Because if you will repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ alone as your hope of salvation, the blood of Christ will wash away all of the sin that's on your record, give you a new life, make you a new creature in Christ. And the Holy Spirit himself will come and indwell you. And you'll have a new life and a new power and you can have victory over all of this and that victory is in Jesus. Will you trust him today? I hope you will before you leave. I pray that you will, that you will trust him by repenting of your sins and clinging to him as the only hope that you have. You say, well, what about believers that get trapped into that sin? Oh, that's why... One of the verses you ought to know besides John 3.16 is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, that means to agree with God. You see, if you confess your sin, it doesn't just mean you admit to it. Not too long ago, I was watching a TV show and uh, some criminal admitted to what he did and then tried to escape and tried to punch out a cop and you know, yelling and screaming and all of that kind of stuff. See, he admitted to his sin. That's not what confession means in the New Testament. The word confess, it's the Greek word homo legeo. It means to say the same. You come to the place to where you say, God, I 
judge this the same way you do. This is wrong. This is sin. I forsake it and I want to hate it like you do. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is about. You're under conviction and you're seeing things through God's eyes so that you say the same about the sin as he does. It's not your mother's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not society's fault. It's It's your fault. It's your fault. And you agree with God about that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All of it. Isn't that good? So let's close with a word of prayer. Would you please bow your head and would you close your eyes? And if you've never been saved, would you put your faith and trust in Christ right now where you are? When I got saved, I don't remember exactly what I said. And that's why I don't give you a prayer to repeat because there's no magic words or formula or anything like that. But I will tell you this. I said something like this. Father, I know that I've sinned against you and I deserve hell because of that. But that Christ came to die on the cross and he took the punishment for my sin so that I could be cleansed and I could have life. And right now I am confessing Jesus as Lord and trusting him as my Savior. Something like that. Something like that. And I would encourage you to call on the name of the Lord. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. That's a promise. If you truly repent and put your trust in Christ. And for believers, if you're involved in sexual sin, I know you feel a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. You're scared. You wonder if anything could ever be right between you and God again. Will He ever listen to your prayers? Will He ever love you? Will He ever bless you? Will He ever use you? Let that verse that Paul said to the Corinthians get a hold of your heart. And such were some of you. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Confess that sin. Commit yourself to Christ. And then do whatever you've got to do to destroy that and to root it out of your life. Father, my prayer is that somebody, maybe listening online... Maybe somebody who's here in this auditorium has trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. My prayer also is that a believer who's trapped in sexual sin, that at this point now, he or she, they want out of it more than anything else. And I pray that you would deliver them from that. To the glory of Christ, and that your church might be pure, that our hearts might be right with you, And that we might be able to testify of Christ in every area of life like Daniel did. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.